All right, why the children are exiting and not because they're exiting, but does anyone have any testimonies from last week? Any, anything that they changed, that changed in them physically, that changed in them spiritually? I, I, th- I think last week we had an incredible time with God and, and actually I felt as though we learnt some stuff and really, really growed in something. So is there anyone that has something that they either learnt or grew in or physically that God changed in them? Boom, right at the back. No, you can do it from wherever you'd like. Um, this is more a healing thing, actually. I last, it was week before last, I actually ended up in the hospital with headaches. I've had headaches all my life, but I've never gone to the hospital for one. And it came with vertigo extreme where I couldn't walk and stuff, couldn't carry out my life. And I thought to myself, gosh, Lord, I can't actually live like this. How will I homeschool my children. How will I live? Dave can't come home and help me every day from work. And um, it just kind of kept going all week like that. And I fell a couple times. And then on Saturday, I laid down to do my Pilates with God. And I got up and everything was fixed. And I can't put anything down to it except that God fixed something. And it was amazing. So... Um, the preaching, I got something, I get something new every time, and I've been in God a long time. Uh, just that concept that uh, sin is, you know, not uh, worshipping other gods rather than doing morally wrong things. Uh, and it changed my life, and I was able to say that to somebody else who needed to hear it. Um, you know, when we're learning, uh, if we're open, we and we had a heart of worship to start off with. Uh, when the worship stopped, I was annoyed because I love the worship. I'm there. That's what I'm there for. And I'm thinking I'd been to another church the week before and I didn't get worship, and now they're taking it away from me. And I was a bit. And then I saw as the morning what it was all about, and it was so rich. And the, the worship at the end was more than enough for everything. It was wonderful. God. Can you hear me? I can't hear myself. <laughs> anyway, I thank God that I, I pray for that I, I couldn't sleep, but then I thank God that um, I was able to sleep very well after the prayer. Guys, the reason that, that it's so important for us to, to actually share these things with one another, and, and I, I hope that, that you guys are sharing them after church and when you're, when you're in each other's homes during the weeks and chatting because it, it actually grows our faith in what God's doing. It has nothing to do with the fact that we're special or that we're doing something that people aren't. It has everything to do with that. We want to see where God is actually moving and, and doing things. And those small little... Can you turn me down just a smidge, please, John? I just feel like I'm yelling. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, when, when we can actually feel as though... Sorry, when we can actually see what God is doing in somebody else, it actually spurs... Um, our spirit, and it spurs our faith to continue to, put, to press into those things. Not that we're looking after those things, but we're, we're seeking God. But seeing God move in those areas is actually encouraging and incredibly helpful. So I, I want to continue on this morning from where Brad sort of left off last week. But I, I really want to challenge you that I was writing this sermon during the week, and I, I was thinking, Flip, you know, we, we have to 
do something with the things that we're learning. And, and I, that's awesome, Mary, what you shared. It's, it's so encouraging because the reason we get different preachers to come through and, and we spend so much time trying to navigate through these things is to train ourselves and train the body to go out and, and, and equip the rest of the world, essentially, and, and bring guys in and, and take the worship that we're seeing here and the praise of God we're seeing here and actually take it out into our spheres of influence and, and into the world. So I want to challenge you that... Go back and have a listen to Brad's preach again. Go back and, and, and challenge him as he speaks on, on the recording. Challenge him in, in what he's reading and where he's showing you. Go to the scriptures. Look, look in a way to see what is actually happening and what, what, if what he's saying is correct. Because I, I want to go a little deeper on that this morning. And, and I think you will need to do that once we finish it this morning. So let's pray and then I'll crack into it. Father, we just, we just honor you here this morning, God. We just come before you, Father, to worship you and to praise you, Father. Lord, we gather here this morning not because this is what you do in a church, Father, but rather we gather to know you more, to know you deeper, Father, to seek your faith and to hear, to seek your face and to hear your voice, Lord. So I just pray this morning, God, that you just open our hearts, Father. Open, open the ears of our heart, Father, the eyes of our heart, and allow us to see what it is that you're saying, what it is that you're doing here, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you just take us deeper and deeper and deeper into who you are and what you're doing in this place, Father. Holy Spirit, you are free to come and move as you will, to minister to us, your people, Father. Jesus, in your beautiful name we pray, amen. So Brad spoke, if you haven't heard it, Brad spoke um, last Sunday about, about sin um, from the garden and, and that it isn't this moral failure that we're tossing and turning with, that it's actually a position of worship that we, we change from focusing on, on other gods and we actually move that into focusing on, on Christ. And that's what happened in the garden. So I want to take that a little bit further this morning and, and, and talk about what actually happened on the exit of of. Um, Adam and Eve out of the garden. So if you want to go with me to Genesis, we're going to stay sort of in Genesis 2 and 3 for a little moment. So go, go with me to Genesis 2. I'm not going to read from it more, more than I'm just going to explain sort of what, what is happening here in Genesis 2, but so you have reference of where to go. But the interesting thing I, I was thinking through as, as Brad was pe- preaching last week is that God designed the garden to be perfection, right? We, we, we've all understood the perfection that God designed it. We see that, that God creates this incredible place that, that brings forth life, that bring, brings forth fruit. And then the next thing that we read is, is that he creates man. And as Brad explained last week, he created, he created man and woman in his image and likeness. So I, I think it's interesting that we, we say that, we've all known that from, from Sunday school, but the reality of, of that was, was that God created a, a, a creation that looked like he did and that was in the, the likeness of who he was. The interesting thing with that is that we read that God created man and then when we go into to Genesis 3, the next thing that we read about is... Adam and, and Eve falling and, and taking the fruit, which we've all heard so many times. But I think that there's, there's something that we miss in that, which is explained later on in the Bible that we, we don't actually take into consideration. I, I've always looked at, at Eve as somewhat of a goose as to how could, you, how could you be in that place and still 
miss the mark, you were with God. Like they were, they were in the place that we have talked about so often. And, and I guess I've always looked at, at, at Eve as a silly person. But when you, when you actually begin to understand what happened in that place, it becomes more, more um, understanding of what Eve actually did. So we see God create Adam and Eve in his likeness, in his image. And they were created in a, in a, a garden that brought forth fruit. So they didn't have to work in the garden. It says that, that they, they tended to the garden, but it wasn't a work. It wasn't the tending to a garden that we know now, the digging the hole, waiting for the tree to grow, hoping that it, it wouldn't die with fruit. It was tending to actually collect the fruit, gather the fruit and bring it in, keep it clean and tidy, the, the easy part of farming, essentially. So that's key to understand that they didn't have to do anything. The food was brought for them. Within the garden, the garden brought forth the fruit. Everything that they had in there sustained itself. God created it that way. If you go with me to Ezekiel 28. So go, go to Ezekiel 28 and I'll, and I'll continue talking and then we'll, we'll go there together. But go with me to Ezekiel 28. So we see mankind in the garden. We see God create this beautiful place of, of, of creation and growth and we see them not having to do anything. Then the next thing we see is Adam and Eve... A snake comes along, which we heard Brad speak about last week, which is actually talking about the whisperer, not talking about this, a snake serpent that we know, but talking about the whisperer, Satan. And I've always had this misunderstanding of why was Satan even in the garden? Why did God create a place and allow Satan to come in? But if you, if you go with me to Ezekiel 28, I want to show you why Satan was in the garden. So Ezekiel 28, verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. But the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries, so I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Now when we actually understand, look at this verse, the Lord is talking about the king of Tyre, but he... Tyre was a city in, in the Hebrew culture that was known for its, its wickedness and its filth. It was one of the, the most well-known cities that um, had issues with, with sexual immorality, that was, was trade. It was, it was a filthy, rotten town. There was another town that was um, very similar to called um, Sidon or Sidon. But the reality was that this, this city was, was known 
for being unrighteous and filthy. So Jesus is actually saying, sorry, the Lord's actually saying in this, um, the king of Tyre, but he's talking about Satan. The reason that we know that is because he says in this, um, in verse 28, verse 13, you were in Eden. So when we actually start to look at that, we see that, that God can only be talking about potentially three people, himself, Adam, or Satan, the other person in the garden. So when we actually begin to understand that, that Satan was in the garden with Adam and Eve, not only was he in the garden with Adam and Eve, it says here in, in this verse that he was appointed as a cherub, a protector. He was given the, the, the garden to protect us, but, but Adam and Eve were actually given the garden. It was theirs, but he gave us a cherub, a protector, an angel, if you'd like, to actually stand with, with mankind and, and help protect. So when it actually says that here, that he was, he was beautiful looking, but the interesting thing to note is that, that if you take a diamond and you put it into... Um, I was listening to a preach this week and he was talking about this. If you take a diamond and you put it into the darkness, it doesn't shine and it's not beautiful. It's actually quite an ugly thing. But if you bring light to a diamond, it sparkles and it shines beautifully. So Satan was created in a way that he was beautiful, but he was beautiful when the light was there. And who was the light? The light of God. So when God came into the garden, he would shine and he would, and he would be beautiful. But when he came to Adam and Eve dressed in this, this garment of, of beauty that God actually created him in, they trusted who he was. So when the whisperer came along to actually deceive Eve, she trusted who he was because she was actually given, he was given by God to protect them. So when we see Eve actually take of the fruit, that's why when God says to, to Eve, um, later on in Genesis, what have you done? And she says, the serpent, the, the whisperer deceived me because she trusted who he was. So now all of a sudden we start to understand that, okay, it was a bit more trickier for Eve than, than just what we've always thought, well, just say no, Eve. But Eve was a, he was a trusted friend and ally. So then, then we, have to, we have to actually look at and understand how men and, and women were created. So we always hear the language that, that we, we, are made, we are made like worshippers, or we're made as worshippers. But you see, the angels were actually made as worshippers to worship God. They were made to, to actually stand in that place and worship. When God created man, he created them higher than the angels were created. So he actually created us, us worshippers of him. I know that sounds, that sounds like I used the exact same word. But the, the, the difference is, is that we had a choice of who we were to worship, which is what Brad was saying last week, whereas the angels didn't have that choice. They were made to worship God. They were made to worship the creation of God. So when we get given um, the, the garden, when we come into the garden, we were actually given the choice as to whether we wanted to keep worshipping God or worship anything that that we wanted. But you see, Satan understood the fact that, that the garden was given to us, but it didn't worship us. Everything that was created in the Garden of Eden was still worshipping God, wasn't worshipping mankind. And in that creation, we were still to worship God. That was a choice if we wanted to stay in the garden. So when Satan comes along and he whispers to Eve, he actually says to Eve, Eve, I can give you something that you, have, you don't have. I can give you this place to worship you. 
because we had nobody worshipping us because that was how God created us, to choose to actually worship the Father. So when Satan comes, his deceit was actually to them to say, you're not being worshipped. So when Eve ate of the fruit, yes, her eyes were open to good and evil, but the reality was that there was an opportunity for her, for them, the earth to worship her because she would be like God. That was what he explained to them. And in that explanation of you will be like God was that you will get the worship, which was the one thing that Satan fought for. He wanted the worship and still fights for today, is that he wants mankind to worship him. He was, he was frustrated and upset that God created another creation above him that he had to worship. Right? Because we were made in the image and likeness of God. So when Satan looks at us, he's seeing the image and the likeness of God the Father, who he's worshipping. So all of a sudden, God then says, okay, I'm going to select you to look after them. So now Satan's in the garden. And I'm speaking a lot about this, but I want to, I want to get to a place like when we need to understand this as a foundation. Because then God put Satan in the garden and said, you must look after this creation of mine. That, by the way, is greater than you are. So now we start to understand that, that Eve, Eve's decision wasn't so easy. right? Eve's, Eve's understanding was actually quite a difficult thing. The angels were made to worship. We were made as worshippers of God, created with a freedom, with a choice. So when, when, when Adam comes, I'm sorry, when, when Satan comes and tries to deceive, we get the freedom to choose who we wanted to worship. But the interesting thing that, we never, that, we, that I hadn't picked up till this week, and it, it actually challenged me quite deeply, was that God explains in Genesis that there were two gardens, um, two trees, sorry. There was a tree of life and a tree of, of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. So when, when Eve, when they were in the garden, they were allowed to eat from every tree except from one tree, which was a tree they couldn't eat from. Knowledge evil. So there's still one more tree that they were allowed to eat from, the tree of life. So constantly as Adam and Eve are in the garden, they're consuming of the tree of life, which actually keeps them in that place with God, actually keeps them in that garden in Eden. Now when, when, when Satan actually came to them and he said, I want you to come with me and I'll give you the worship, they took of the tree of life. Sorry, they took of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil and they ate from it. If, if we go later, go to go Genesis 3.22. Genesis 3.22. So we see, we see the four, we see that, that, that Adam starts to, to um, God says to Adam, what have you done? You've, you've, you've been deceived. And then in 3.22, we see, we see it says this, that then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden and of Eden, he placed a cherub and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We've always read that, that God was angry and frustrated with Adam and Eve, and that's why he kicked them out of the garden. But what that just says there is that if they were to go back and take from the tree of life, then they would stay in that fallen state that they were in. So what God is actually saying in that is that I had to remove them, otherwise they would stay disconnected from me. Because remember that when they ate from that tree, it actually cut the connection that we had of God in the, in the garden. And then the cleverness of God, he says, if they go back to that tree, then they'll stay in his place and I'll never get my children back. 
So now we actually see God creating that death, that, that death being, sorry, reigned in them from taking that fruit and God removing them from the garden, exiling them, was actually God pouring out his mercy on mankind to say, you stuffed up, but I'll bring you back. So we actually start to see this, this whole picture now of, oh, wow, I, I understand that, that Eve was tricked. I understand that, that the enemy was deceitful in, in a place where he was actually given, given righteousness and authority to protect the creation of God. So then when we see, when we see Satan uh, get kicked out, we, he doesn't get offered that option back. Because he actually was deceitful in what he did to God. He, he turned his back to a place where God said, you will not be given back, which is what we just read in, in uh, Ezekiel, is that you will not be coming back. But mankind, he, he created in such a way, in his image and likeness, that he said, I have to get my children back. So when we look at that, we, we need to change the way that we actually see that because one paints God as this angry, frustrated I've, I've got to just punish my children. And the other says, jeepers, I need my kids back. And they stuffed up and they were wrong. So then we, we go, well, there was, no, there was no issue then. God didn't do anything for them causing trouble, except for the fact that it says there in Genesis 3 that he had to go and work the land. We read in, in 19 where it says, uh, sorry, in 17, it says, And Adam said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I command you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it in all your days of life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for our dust you, and dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things, and God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins of clothes. So he actually says to them, now because of what you've done, you have to go out into a land that will not be kind to you, that is actually outside of my, my, my covering and, and my protection. So all of a sudden they go from a land where they were tending the garden, they were gathering the food and the livestock and the freedom that came to them, to now they actually have to go out and get it for themselves. So the punishment that they actually walked in was, A, they were disconnected from God, unable to walk with him, and B, that they had to go and work for the land. They had to go and actually break themselves in toiling to actually get the land to a place where it would provide food for them. So now we begin to understand that, that they must have left the garden and realized, man, we stuffed it. Because now they're in a place that was completely foreign to them. They had to learn how to, to cultivate the land. They had to learn how to, to, to gather water and to get things for themselves because they had always had it in the garden. So when we start to understand that in today's context, that there's, a, there's a freedom for us that walks back into the kingdom of God that allows us to receive the, the fruit that come of the garden. So when we actually are saved and we, we enter back into the kingdom of God, we no longer have to toil for those things. Now, obviously, that becomes a spiritual thing rather than a, a physical thing more so, that we actually get to sit in the fruits of of the, the labor of God because we now get to come back into his kingdom and his revelation through Jesus. So God creates this, this mess of a story to actually have some place because then he says, I'll send Jesus. I'll send my son in order to actually, to actually bring back the problem that was created. of which we've spoken on again and again, and I, and, and I, 
we will never ever get sick of speaking about what Jesus has actually done in the cross and, and the things, but we actually begin to understand that Jesus came as a, as a way to bring us back into the relationship with the Father. He came for us to actually get back what we had in the garden. So if our, as, as Brad was saying last week, that the garden of, of, in Eden is actually the heart of the believer, that, that now our job is to go out and bring people into that place. But also in that, we get to walk in the freedom and the fruits of that garden. Which is a whole other another story about the power that, that we have as believers. But when you actually begin to understand that that's the fruit that we're actually standing in. That God has given us so much already. We're not waiting to get to that place. That God's called us into that now through what Christ has done. Go with me to Matthew 16 verse... Yeah, Matthew 16, start at verse 13. Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. Okay, so, so obviously we see then Satan falls. I believe that that was, that I believe the only way it can be is that it was after we fell, because it doesn't make any sense otherwise, that Satan actually fell after us. And when he fell, he fell with the angels that come to the earth, which we all know, right? Now, in that, those, the, the, the demons that then took the land that was, was given to mankind, that Jesus went and got back forth, they, they begin to rive and revel on this place, creating other gods that people were worshipping. Hence why we see all throughout the scriptures, like Brad was saying last week, that the Israelites were worshipping at points other gods. So we see Jesus come back. We, we, we know the story that he comes back through Mary, the seed breaking the seed of Adam and creating a new seed of man that we can actually enter into not having to be a part of that sin anymore. But the interesting thing is that when Jesus comes back, he, he actually got one over the other gods, little g gods that were, were ruling the earth in this verse, which we see um, Matthew 16, verse 13, where he says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will, keep the keys, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So it's interesting right there that Jesus actually declares that he is the Christ, right? That he is the King of kings coming to, to replace. What that meant for them is that they knew what the Christ was. They knew that the Christ was, the, the Jewish um, people of the day knew that Christ was coming to take back what was God's. The interesting thing in that is that that place that they go, Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus takes them to, was actually a, a very pivotal place in this scripture because he took them to a place that was beautiful in nature. It was, it was incredibly looking fresh and, and, and clean. And the interesting thing was that it was, it was at the, the water source. It was above, above the Jordan River on a mountain, and the water source of it was, was a fresh water source. It was a big... Um, 
hole in the earth that was deep and full of fresh water. And they actually found that that, that hole was what fed water into the Jordan River. And what, what um, the pagans did was the pagans went to that place and they created altars to their gods. Massive, big um, worship centers, if you'd like, to the different gods that they worshipped. Because it was the place of life, the place of, of being. And the interesting thing that the Greek name in it is, is Panea. And in Greek mythology, the Greek mythology, it means the son of Hermes. And Hermes in Greek mythology was a half man, a half goat. So it was actually, they called it the place, essentially the place of the goat, the place of, of Satan, essentially. So they were all worshipping in this place and there was lots of different symbols and signs to other gods. Jesus takes the disciples there where they would have been worshipping other gods, other people. No one would have known who he was. And he walks up and he says to Peter, who do they say that I am? In a spiritual realm, that must have been bananas. Because he takes them to a place where, where demons and all kinds of things would have been lurking. And he walks in the light into that place. They would have been going berserk. And in that place, he asks Peter, who am I? Who do, they, who do you say that I am? And right there, he declares who he is. You are the Christ, the King of kings, Lord above all of the other lords. So right there, he dismantles the power of darkness. He dismantles the principalities right there in that place because in that place, they were saying, we own this. And Jesus walks up and he says, no, you don't. I own this. These are my people. Isn't that right there just mind-boggling? That Satan, back in the garden, when he, when he deceived Eve and they left the garden, he thought, I got them out. The job's done. Like me, they can't go back in. Like me, they too have to perish with us. The creation that God put in front of me is now below me and they're out with me. And then Jesus goes back in and takes them in and he says, I'm, I'm the king and watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do in this place. And you know, the interesting thing is that later on in that verse, 16, 13, verse, uh, verse 15, is that Jesus then says to them, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what we've just discovered, that I'm the Christ. And then he says to them in, in 21, for that time Jesus began to then show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day he, to be raised... Peter takes Jesus aside and he says to him, he rebukes him and says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Then Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus tells him, I'm the Christ. Then they say to them, Okay, but I have to go to the cross and I'm going to be killed. And Peter says, Peter falls back into the place of wrong worship and starts to worship himself because he was thinking that Christ was going to sit on the throne, he was going to rule, they were going to overthrow Rome. That was what his mind thought because that was the Jewish thinking of the day, that Jesus was going to come back as a conqueror and conquer the throne and then take over Rome. So his, his thought process goes back into worldly thinking, back into worship of himself, thinking, I'm going to get to be a part of this thing. And then Jesus calls him out and says, you get behind me, Satan. He's just, he's just saw Peter say, I understand this. Peter, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna build a church on the rock. Great job, Peter. You, you've done what, what I think you would have. And then later he says, get behind me, Satan. What's he doing? He's calling out the worship problem that Peter had that, that Jesus knew that we struggled with. 
He's calling out the problem of, I don't know what to focus on. And Jesus says to him, start focusing on the things of above. Start focusing on what I'm telling you. Start focusing on what the Father's saying to you. Jesus has just declared who he is. And instantly Peter wavers because he doesn't know how to deal with it. And the, and the thing that God says to him, just focus on the things that are above. That's where you need to look. It completely changes the way that we understand what God was actually doing. He knew what he was doing the moment that Eve took the fruit. He knew how to, how to bring us back in. And the first part is that he then says to, the, to them, I am the king. This is who I am. Go into Luke 4 verse 6. Is this making sense? Is everyone following me? If you weren't, you wouldn't say no anyway. Oh, would you? No, I'm not following. Oh, God, too bad. <laughs> no, I would go back, I promise. Okay, so, so Jesus has established himself, and then we, we establish who he is. Now, I, I wanted to come here because it's interesting, because this is where Satan actually takes Jesus out, and he tries to tempt Jesus. And there's a, there's a, whole, there's a whole lot of sermons that can be done on actually the temptation of, of what, Jesus, what Satan was trying to do to Jesus. But the second temptation that, that um, Satan actually gives to Jesus in uh, 4 verse 5 is the same temptation that he gave to Eve in the garden. He says, The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. So Satan says to him, If you'll just worship me, Still Satan fighting for the, for the worship that he didn't have in the garden, that he doesn't have now. Is that he says to Jesus, I'll give you all these things and they will worship you. If only you just worship me. All you have to do is worship me and they'll worship you. And I love the fact that Jesus would have, would have known where he was going. He would have known what was going to happen. And he just says to him, I'll only worship my God. But I love the fact that Satan actually thought, well, it worked on Eve. Maybe it'll work on Jesus as well. But he challenged him on his position of worship. That's why what Brad was saying last week is so important, is such a a massive um, shift for the church to make because when we focus on who and what we're worshiping, everything changes. When we stand in that power that Jesus stood on, in that verse that he read back and he says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. When we understand that power, And we can say that to to Satan, trying to lure us out of that place all the time. That's the power and the freedom that we stand in. That's where where we actually can begin to, as a church, start to take some of this ground that we seemingly seem to 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 be losing. But I just want to, I want to say this. Satan doesn't have a hold over any of us here. And I, and uh, there's a lot of people who discuss, it gets discussed a lot, especially in churches, as to if we should even be talking about this. But of course we have to talk about this. Because this is where we came from. This is the battle that we face. Now, I, I, I refuse to constantly talk about Satan because I don't want to focus on him and focus on the, the evil. But I want to actually have an understanding of the fact that he was beaten and he was never actually given that place in the beginning. Go with me to Luke Chapter 4, verse 6. No, you're already there. 
Go to Luke 9, verse 23. Luke 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whatever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. That very first verse, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I think I've preached about it before. I think that picking up your cross is not a, a call to martyrdom. It's actually a call to the, the, the plan that God has for you to actually follow what he's calling you into, I think is the cross that we bear. The, the steps that we take to fulfill his calling is the cross that we bear. But the, the first thing he actually calls us to is this place of worship, to deny yourself. That's what Eve struggled with in the garden. So he's actually saying, Jesus is actually saying to us, to be a disciple of me, you have to give over yourself because if you don't, you will constantly be deceived and cannot walk in the things that I've asked you to walk in. That's what Jesus is saying right there. The reason he challenges that first thing, come after me, deny yourself, is because of this place of worship. Because he understands how powerful it is to actually worship God wholly and with everything that we have. And then he follows that up by saying, worship, worship me. And then when I tell you to do something, when I, when I give you something to do, fulfill that thing. So it's a two-part understanding. Which is interesting because we then see it, I can't remember if it's earlier or later, but we see that, that the two commandments that we have to take are upwards and outwards. Worship me and then do as I've asked you to do, love people. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Worship and then follow my call for you. The last place I just want to go, I just, I just want to, to, to wrap this up, is go, go a little bit later in Luke to 10 verse 18. So, so Jesus sees the 72 return and they were, they're coming back with joy and, and they, say, they say to Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name because when they went out, they cast demons out in the name of Jesus. And when they come back to, to him, when they come back from, from that journey, they say to him, Jesus, even, even the demons come out in your name. And Jesus responds with this. He says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Full stop. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus has this almost like flashback to the garden where he says, I saw Satan fall. I've beat him. Right? That's what Jesus is saying in that. There's no need for us to fret and worry about whether or not we actually have the upper hand over over Satan, because Jesus is saying right there, I saw him fall. I put him in that place below you, because now through me, I give you the authority to come back into the garden. 
That's what Jesus is saying in that. He's actually saying to them, don't worry about whether or not you'll be able to beat him because I promise you I've already beaten him. It's finished, done, dusted. And that's where we actually get the authority from God to actually stand in a place above all these things. When we stand in a place that's not of his kingdom, is that we're saying, no, God already dealt this with you. This thing was already finished when you fell and we've actually been given the freedom to walk back into that. So we come back into the garden. You can't. Therefore, we stand in a place above you. And we don't worry about this thing anymore. But the freedom is in God, in the, in the, the choice that, that we actually get to stand back in that garden. That's what we're here to do as a church. Is not to create a big group of people who can come and, <laughs> and just be. We're, we're here to actually open the eyes of people to say, I'll show you what you lost, and I'll show you how you can get it back. That's what sin is. That's what Brad was was speaking about last week, is that we actually get to step back into that place of this isn't an issue anymore. And what I want to do is I want to stop worshipping somebody else. I want to start worshipping you, God, and then I want to pick up my cross, and I want to follow what you're asking me to follow. That's the Christian life. So if we're stuck in something that's, that's not where we're supposed to be, then you need to shift your worship. If we feel that we're stuck, stagnant with God, we need to be asking him, God, what is your plan for my life? What is your purpose? What can I be doing for you in this, in every aspect of my life? Because that's the picking up your cross. That's the following him in that instance. That when we shift our worship onto God and we start listening to what he's saying, he's speaking to us and giving us those answers. But we're not aligned with him to actually hear what it is that he's saying. So when we bring ourselves back into that place and we go, okay, God, I'm, I'm right beneath you. I'm right with you, in you, hearing what you have to say. That's when we start to actually live this fulfilled Christian life, this empowered Christian life that we're supposed to live, this, this embodiment of who he is within our spheres of influence. Rather than just trying and trying and trying to fulfill something that God actually says you can't fulfill. That's why he designed it this way, that when we fell, he designed a pattern that we could actually follow. Worship me. And then do as I'm asking you to do. That's the pattern we can follow. Why don't you stand, we'll just pray, and then we can head home. I guess. No, I haven't. Does it seem I've had enough? No. Although my wife's not well, so I need to go home and pray. Yes. I hope that makes sense. I, 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 don't, I, I want to be able to, like I, like I said, is that we, this is something that we want to continue speaking around, this, this empowered Christian life through, through living where God wants us to live. And I, I want to encourage us that in the next um, few weeks, just after August, we're going to have a, an opportunity to ask more questions around this. So if you have questions, if there's things that you, you don't agree with or that you're not understanding, write them down. Write them down and, and we want to continue to talk and actually flesh through this stuff so that we can, as a family, grow and be effective in this, not just come for a nice sermon. So if, if there's something that you disagree with, if there's something you don't understand, write the questions down. Let's talk through them and actually get to a place where we can all understand and grow in this. So Father, we just thank you, God. We just... We just honor you, Jesus. God, we just thank you that you knew what you were doing, Father, from the moment that, 
that we stuffed up in that garden, the moment that we, we made the wrong decision, Father, you already knew how to bring us home. God, that you followed that through. Jesus, that you willingly came, creating the perfect path for us to come back into, into the Father's house. That you died on that cross, that you gave of yourself in complete surrender to the Father's will, in complete and perfect worship of the Father. That you rose again, that you're seated at the right hand, and that you will come again. God, I thank you that we live in that right now. That we get to stand back in that place of wholeness. We get to stand back in that place of of perfection in you. God, I thank you that you've given us authority to stand over the powers and the principalities that are are trying to wreak havoc in this place. We just declare, Jesus, that you are king in this house, that you are king in, in our lives, that you are king in this city. And we, Father, ask that you give us the tools and the abilities to stand in that authority of your kingship and to bring your kingdom to this city and to this nation, Father. We just declare you right now we gather just to honor you to worship you to serve you to praise your glorious name thank you father amen amen go and be well Uh, Jess and I won't be here next week. We are going to Adelaide um, to be with Paul and Tracy. Paul, who was here a few weeks ago. Um, So we're going to be with them for the weekend. So we won't be here. um, But please keep us in your prayers for that, especially because Jess is not well. So I'm hoping she gets better before we we go. But yes, keep us in your prayers. We're going to be there with those guys um, for the weekend. Um, And then we'll be back the following week. And please remember that Mike and Charmaine are coming the second week of August, weekend of August. We're going to send a lot more stuff out so you'll know, but they um, bring an incredible gift of apostleship to this house and they are very dear friends and they serve so diligently, but they will be here to, to be with us. Um, they're going to be here for two weeks, so there'll be a few things we'll be doing. So keep that in your mind and in your diaries and we will see you soon.